0: Welcome to our first episode of A Lady and Some Dudes. Hey everyone, my name is Phil
1: and I'm the moderator for the A Lady and Some Dudes podcast. I'm a New York Knicks fan, a Giants fan, a Mets fan, and a Rangers fan. And yes, we haven't won for a long
2: time. Hello, my name is Dion and I am the lady of A Lady and Some Dudes. And I am a Giants fan, I am a Yankees fan, and I am a Knicks fan. Please pray for
3: me on the last one. What's going on, everybody? My name is Kel. I'm one of the dudes on here. Uh, My favorite teams are Philadelphia
0: Eagles, Philadelphia 76ers, and the Phillies. So we're good. Hello, everyone. My name is Evan. I am a loyal, trust the process person. So I'm a Philadelphia Sixers fan. I'm a Philadelphia Eagles fan. I am a... Uh, Flyers fan when we're in the playoffs. I'm a Phillies fan when we're offense is good, and I'm just some dude.
1: Thank you, everyone, and we really appreciate everyone tuning in to our first episode. So we're gonna get this show started with our first topic today: the NFL draft. What more can we say? So Everett, you take the first shot. How did your team do in the NFL draft?
0: So um, seeing how I'm an Eagles fan. We love to panic. And so the first draft uh, that we looked at, you know, I just was very disappointed. I felt like someone shot me in the heart because it looked like uh, CeeDee Lamb was about to drop to the Eagles. And, you know, everyone's saying he he was probably the consensus number one wide receiver, even though he was sliding. And I felt as if uh, our, our GM got gun shy and didn't make the move. And to make matters worse, my NFC rival, the team I, I love to hate, um, is, a, is uh, the Dallas Cowboys. They they took C.D. Lamb. And then when I thought we are going to go get Je- Justin Jefferson in the first round, we went and got someone named Jalen Rieger. Now, uh, so I would say my hands are in the air. I'm not sure what to feel about Jalen Rieger, but I definitely almost lost my religion when I saw a chef Jalen Hurts in the second round. I know Kelvin has a different perspective on that, so I'll let you go on the stake on Jalen Hurts.
3: Yeah, so um, me and Evan, we definitely had the same team, the Eagles. And I, I definitely had a different perspective from him. Um, I, I, was, I was like him initially, um, maybe the first day when I saw uh, all the receiver group and everybody got hyped up from the media. When you talk about the, the top three receivers, it was uh, Ruggs. Uh, C.D. Lamb, and um, the other guy from Alabama. Yeah, Judy. So, you know, everybody, of course, wanted those guys, especially with our offense lacking speed, our offense lacking a good wide receiver. Everybody was hyped for those three. But when I, you know, after I, uh, you know, I took a day to to sit back and think about it, I realized that, you know, it's all media hype. Um, When you think about the draft process, you can't really really uh when you're picking the 20s and back is you, you usually don't have any impact players in that um that just come in just dominating right off the bat so you know it's always a seeing weight type thing and I feel like when I thought I watched a little tape on these guys I was comfortable with Rager but getting to Evan we talked about our second pick you know the whole city you know we almost had a riot in Philly because of that second pick uh with, with Jalen Hurts uh, I was cool with it. You know, when you think about – if you follow the Eagles, and you guys do because you, you're Giants fan and you're always watching us. Um, so, you know, uh, you always see that one of our big problems is our quarterback, our franchise guy, he always gets hurt. Mm-hmm. So I feel as though you need a quality backup and even somebody that may, you know, take the range from him and eventually. And I looked at Hertz, and I like his leadership. I like the fact that, he you know, he's a persevering guy. Um, Everything I hear about him, I like. He's mobile. Um, And I think the NFL now, you got to move to the mobile quarterback. Um, So, you know, I don't have a problem with it like most. Of course, drafting him at the second round, people have problems with that. But I feel like he would have been gone if you talk about trying to get to to the third and fourth. So, you know, I was comfortable overall. We had a real good steal. We talk about the fourth round pick with Kayvon Wallace at Clemson. Uh, he he uh, He was a steal to draft. And uh, you know, crazy enough, the, the guy we drafted in the third round, the linebacker, he was um, he's a guy that didn't really have much experience. Actually, he was uh he was a seven-day eventist, uh, so he didn't play high school football. Uh so you know he worked his way up. Um, and his measurables is off the chart. So to get him in the third round, along with our fourth round pick on defense, I like our draft, man. I don't even look at from five and back, to be honest, because it's rarely do you anybody from five and and beyond stay on your team um, so you know that'll be a plus if we get it so overall you know I'm happy with the draft
0: and and two I, I think one thing I walked away with in the draft was I felt a sense of at least I understand the direction our team is heading in right uh, they want to add speed last year it was miserable watching Alshon Jeffrey go up there and plot it looked like he had cement bricks on his feet and he <laughs> was dropping past and left and right so You know, I definitely felt like we need to add speed. Uh, And it looks like we're adding speed on both offense and defense. My only concern is, it's reminiscent of Chip Kelly. Chip Kelly wanted to add speed. Well, actually, Chip Kelly started that way. Then he got on a power trip and wanted to add uh, the righteous good behavior. But anyway, (laughs) uh, my my, my concern, though, with with teams that are speed-oriented, and this happened a lot during the end of any Reed's tenure, they were soft. And I want... a a team that is fast but it's powerful like you look at the Saints they get there they're fast but there's something that gets them off their block when the game really matters and so for me that's my main concern is is our team gonna be tough enough
1: now can I ask a question do you think your team the Philadelphia Eagles I heard you say applied and did everything they need to do to address their need did they truly do that with all aspects from one through four according to Cal your draft you said they addressed their need from one to four
3: well, see, with us, you know, when you look at our team, we get, we um we have a pretty solid roster already. Right. Um, we were only a couple players away. I know everybody says that, but everybody's not truthful when they say it. The <laughs> truth is, the truth is, um, when you have a franchise quarterback, when you can protect the trenches, uh, when you have a great offensive line, a great defensive line, um, and you know it's a quarterback-driven league. So to Evan's point, uh, we played well with practice players at the receiver position, you know, being able to even get to the playoffs, seriously. I mean, like the, our number one receiver was just taken from the practice team, you know. So, you know, you think about that and you add some players and you bring back players like Deshaun Jackson coming off of injury. You got Alshon Jack, Alshon Jefferson, Alshon, what am I tripping? I'm messing up his name. Alshon coming off of uh, injury, he's back. And then you add a guy like Rager, then you have these guys um, that you drafted uh, late. That's four two, four four two, four three, forty times. Um, you gotta just you gotta be optimistic about what's going on. So I feel like we didn't have that many holes anyway. Uh, as long as you had a quarterback in place, and we already have a veteran team overall, we got good leadership. So I think you know it's any given Sunday. But i but on paper, I think we could beat anybody. I think we could play with anybody.
0: And I think to be fair to the Eagles, they're really one hit away from being in that second round, maybe even the conference championship. Because I mean, it was one late, late dirty hit by Jadavion Clowney that kind of shaped the whole game. I mean, the, we we controlled the the Seattle Seahawks for the first time, like in my in my in my memory. We usually, play them, we get stomped. We controlled them, and then we just lost a quarterback. And I mean, this boy, what's what's that? What's that? Uh, Luke McCown was out there with a torn torn hamstring almost. With, he would take us all the way to the cusp of the red zone. And Carson Wentz was killing the red zone that, that, uh, this past season. So I thought we were uh, on our way to win the game, potentially go on and win the second round, go on to the NFC Championship. But, you know, uh, I think the Eagles are good. I think the one thing we're going to miss is the veteran leadership of Malcolm Jenkins. But hopefully Kevon Wallace can, in time, not obviously not replace him, but can come in and step in and play a good role.
3: Yeah, yeah, you're talking about Josh McCown. Yeah, definitely.
1: Well, it seems like your team might do what it always do, quarterback away from getting to the next level. But the, uh, what do you think about your team, the Giants? Um, I know as a Giants fan, the main thing they wanted to do, and they did address a store in a draft, were to protect Danny Dimes.
2: Yes, absolutely. And as a Giants fan and us coming off what would be our third consecutive losing season um, since making the playoffs, I think, in 2016, I think our biggest issue that we needed to address was our line. Um, And so I am quite content with Andrew Thomas. Um, I guess it was a little surprising that that was our choice. But overall, I think he's solid. You have a guy who's super athletic. He has um, 36-inch arms. He's very competitive. He's going to be excellent on pass blocking. Um, I definitely think that was a good choice. Um, I am more excited, though, about the safety we picked up in McKinney. um, Xavier McKinney, Um, he will now be a part of our Um, triplet um, safety um, team that we have with Julian Julian Love and Jabril Peppers. Um, I think those are the components of our game that I feel we really needed to improve on the last couple of seasons. Um, I think these two players in particular um, is definitely going to help. Now, are we a playoff contention team? I don't. No, the jury is still way out on that one. But at this point, I think we're trying to rebuild um, as a team and start to compete again. And I like where we are with, um, with those two main choices. Obviously, we had other picks as well.
1: Right, I agree. I think once we build that line and Danny Dimes actually gets to throw the ball, not fumble the ball, the Giants mm-hmm. should be a better team next year.
3: Is but, that his nickname? Is
1: that
0: his nickname, Danny Dimes? Is that
2: Danny what? Dimes, <laughs> listen. Wow, okay.
0: I mean, when Eli was your quarterback, though, of course anyone comes and looks like Danny Dimes.
2: <laughs> no, 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 no. But, but you have to understand. So last year in the draft, when we drafted um, um, Daniel Jones, Giants fans, um, and I might have been included in that number, we were completely disgusted, right? We were like, who is this guy from Duke? What is he going to do? We don't know anything about him. Um, You know, he was being compared to Haskins in his draft. And, and, you know, he was expected to be this big flop. The reality is he came in and surprised. um, He surprised me, at least. He surprised most Giants fans. And um, with his early game performances, I mean, he earned his way to a nickname just out
1: there dropping dimes. So that's what we're going with um, moving forward. And also
3: he's it's way just, it's mobile. Just crazy. It's just crazy to me how you can get a nickname and you only win four games. <laughs> 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 I mean, that's, that's that's like the bar is really low right now. You only no, like, the four games.
2: In all fairness, though, he got that nickname after he played his first two games and he was 2-0. out. Oh.
3: Thank you. Okay.
2: So, so, you. So you know you got to put it in proper perspective.
3: All right. I I mean I give you that.
0: Give I you think that. the I think the big thing for for uh, Danny Jones this year is going to be this year, right? Because you know quarterbacks. You know I've seen so many quarterbacks, especially in the NFC, uh come in. They have a good first year. It, well, it's just solid, right? It's solid, and you say we'll we'll see what happens. Mm-hmm. Year two is always a critical year, where they take a mm-hmm. jump or where they regress. Mm-hmm. I think it's going to be tough because y'all are changing y'all change cultures, correct? Yes. Yes. So this means he's probably going to deal with a whole new offense. So there's going to be a learning curve there. Um, but you know, because I hate the Dallas Cowboys, I, I obviously hope y'all are second team in the division.
3: <laughs> you bet. You better than me, Anna. <laughs> <laughs> than me. I want. I want. I want a clear distance between first place and second.
2: Nah. I mean, if I, I, I think we're going to compete definitely at a higher level this year. So um, the NFC East, which is usually considered the trash of conferences, Mm -hmm. um, I I think we're going to make a little noise. I I think the Eagles are going to be solid. I think we're going to be solid. Um, The Cowboys are just going to yell, we done boys and not perform. And um, (laughs) the the, Washington is going to be Washington, right? I don't really expect anything different there.
1: Just bringing that up, what do you think about our division? And based upon the draft, who has a clear – who's the clear favorites to be one, two, and three, and four? I think, Deion, so, you, you kind of pick it up, but Cal, I want you to take it from
3: there. Mm-hmm. So, <clears throat> to be – all right, so, of course, as a fan of the Eagles, I'm going to say us, but if I'm looking at it just objectively, um, I honestly think the most talent in the division – uh, the Cowboys. Um, I hate to say, and I I'm not really, I'm mad I said it. I, you can probably edit it out, to be honest. But, um, <laughs> the Cowboys, I think, we had the best. They have the best talent. I feel like uh, we probably have the best team overall.
0: Mm-hmm. Um,
3: because you talk about continuity. We talk about a head coach that's Super Bowl head coach, quarterback still in place, um, leadership still in place. Um, then I, you know, then I feel like if the Giants and the risk, and to be honest, I think you guys might be playing third, um, and maybe racing for that third place. But you know, you know, to be just to be fair, you know, everybody thinks one thing before the, before the season starts. You know, I thought we was going to win thirteen games last year. Uh, we ended up nine to seven. So you know, that's just my take on it. But I, you know, nobody knows. But just on paper, I feel like the most talent is the Cowboys. The better team is the Eagles. Uh, Giants and Redskins—they still like in the rebuilding phase, in my opinion.
2: Yeah, mm-hmm. and and I I have to agree with that um, completely. As much as it pains me to acknowledge anything positive with the Cowboys, I think yeah, absolutely spot on um, on that one. With that said, it still won't make a difference next
0: season. So. <laughs> No, like a, when you sit back and really think about the Cowboys, we like, sit back and think about the Cowboys. They are a team that always has a strong roster. Mm-hmm. And no matter who the head coach is, they seem to They had the Big Tuna, they underperformed, they had uh well this last guy. I didn't think he was I mean, Jesse was a good coach, but mm-hmm. you know, uh, I don't know, he never seemed to perform to task. And you know, to me, the Cowboys are talented but they lack they're just an organization that lacks discipline. I mean you never know what Ezekiel Elliott's gonna do. You never know where he's gonna end up. You don't even know what the owner's gonna do. The owner be caught up in scamming all the time.
3: There you go. And then,
0: and then Dak Prescott. I mean, he he's just convinced that he he's really a legit. I mean, he's an NFL talent. He is a starting quarterback in the NFL, but he's convinced that he is like the most integral part. And the statistics show that when Ezekiel Elliott isn't playing well, you can get to Dak Prescott. Hmm. So he's really just an above-average quarterback that. You know, he just keeps getting prospering with good, with good talent around him. And so, I mean, for me, on paper, yes. But Amari Cooper was dropping balls last year, and Amari Cooper is inconsistent. Um, and eventually, those, those, those hits are going to take a toll on Ezekiel. He probably has like two or three good more years before you start to see him take that, that, that running back slowdown.
1: Good point. Good point. I hope every team fails except for the Giants to rise. for that topic, but we know what's gonna happen. The Giants ain't going nowhere. If the Dallas Cowboys continue to do what they do, which is an accident waiting to happen, I think Philadelphia will rise. The talk of the town. Not one NBA fan or sports fan has not set aside time to watch the last dance. We know Jordan is the GOAT. Many may dispute that or think someone else have the opportunity to obtain that. But in my lifetime, I haven't seen that. But The Last Dance has truly proved that Michael Jordan is the GOAT. So, Dion, you wrote an article about it online, and I want you to take the topic first of The Last Dance. Episodes, we're gonna talk about episodes one and two, then three and four, and our expectation for episode five and six, which airs tonight at nine.
2: Okay. I mean, it's Michael Jordan, right? I mean, I can sit and run through accolades and awards and championships and MVPs, and we are all aware of that. I think what The Last Dance is really bringing to light, though, is his mental capacity for greatness, like the mental game that went into creating... um, who we now know is the GOAT. And I think that's so important because a lot of players out there, they'll get their accolades, right? They're gonna score their points, they're gonna get their assists, they're gonna get their rebounds, rebounds, I apologize. But um, who actually has the mental sheer will to push themselves to success? And for me, no one did it better than Michael Jordan. And I'll have you guys just kind of chime in on what your perspective is as him as a player
3: you know Dion said it right um you know me I'm 35 um uh, so you know I, you know of course I'm born in the 80s but far as like understanding and growing up and watching the bas- basketball when you watch Michael Jordan it's almost like you watched a movie mm-hmm. you know so anybody in my era um you know, watching him and seeing his documentary is, is huge because it takes you behind the scenes. You know, when I was watching it, I would see it and almost know how the movie was going to end, how, how Mike was going to have the ball in his hand and he was going to take over the game. And, and it almost felt like it was a movie for me. So for him to create that type of atmosphere in my mind, it was almost unfair for me growing up because then my expectations for these future players were so high. You know, I was waiting for the next person to do that. And you kind of see his greatness because, you know, he's flawless in the finals uh, and he had an obsession for the game. And when you have an obsession for the game like that, you can appreciate it because, you know, as as fans and him being an entertainer, ultimately, you know, you pay to watch that type of greatness. And Michael Jordan, you know, when you say his name, you say greatness attached to it. So, you know, the documentary so far is several topics, but overall, um, like the first four episodes – it was just good to see some background on how he became who he was, and you know the trials that he had to go through to become Michael Jordan. You know, like he said, I was I was just Mike first, and then after North Carolina putting in work over there, and that shot turned me into Mike Cole. So that was just that was just some insight that I was like, wow, you know. And uh, as a basketball player growing up, you know, I can appreciate you know all the background work.
0: And, and my, my takeaway from the documentary one. It, it demonstrated to me how much of an alpha Michael Jordan was. Like, if you remember that scene where Robin is requesting to go to Vegas, like, Phil is bringing in Michael, and Michael's like, Phil, isn't a good idea. But Phil is getting Michael's blessing. I mean, when have you seen that happen where a coach is trying to get the blessing of a player? That, uh, and we're not talking about, like, you know, Teron Lu. Teron Lu's a good coach, but everyone kind of felt like Teron Lu was really just a fill in, and, 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 and LeBron was coach of that team you're talking about a hall of fame coach a coach who has multiple championship rings a coach who has uh, coached various different hall of famers as a hall of famer himself um, he is deferring to michael jordan so that to me that was that was special but also i think for me as i rewatch some of those highlights it's just amazing i mean michael jordan was like i don't know if y'all remember uh, of course y'all do remember the rams back in um What's the, like, 99, 2000, the greatest show on turf? Michael Jordan was the greatest show on TV during that time. Watching him with the basketball, I mean, he was just amazing. I mean, the man averaged 37 points a game and barely shot a three-pointer. And so his his dominance and his fierceness and his competitiveness, I mean, it's just something to behold because right now, you know, you look at the NBA and it, you know, it seems as if the players are more about their brand than they are about the game. You know what I'm saying? Um, you, you look at Ben Simmons, for instance. Ben Simmons is should be better than he is, in my opinion. But to me, Ben Simmons thinks more, a lot about his brand and not just about the game. LeBron is making decisions about his brand, uh, thinking beyond basketball. And so I appreciate watching a superstar care about winning, even though he, he never got tired of winning. And so, and then watching how he just controlled the locker room and how he uh, was uh, leading uh, the various players—it's it, just been a, a marvel. It's been refreshing because I don't know about you—I've I've gotten tired of the flashy, non-competitive NBA. Like, how many times do I get tired of watching All-Star games? I miss when All-Star game was competitive, and now it's just like a show. Like, I don't know. So I, I appreciate watching that, and just his his is just tenacity and desire to win and and here's what I love the most I love a player who takes the newspaper clippings personally and makes sure that he's like Michael Jones was not just in a fight with the other player he was in a fight with anyone who was against him in that time and you'd he, love to see it so let's review episode one
1: what was the highlights of episode one Deon what was the highlights you saw at episode one so we were um.
2: I think for me, I love, and I think Helvin mentioned this, the transition from Mike to Michael, right? Like to the greatness that we saw. But one of the things that um, I love about episode one, and I'm not sure if this was episode one or two, but um, Michael spoke about how he could not make his high school team, you know, and he went home upset, dejected, all the things that any one of us would have felt, and I really resonated with his mother. She didn't throw a pity party. You know, she didn't blame anyone else. She just told him, basically, hunker down, do better, try harder, right? And and I think that's so important, and I think that training, even seeing that brief glimpse of his background... Shows you why he was the kind of competitor and the person that he was, because if you look at the NBA now when things don't go according to plan. What do these players do. They whine. They complain. They have press conferences to go to South Beach. I mean, they get people fired. You know, that the mentality is just not the same, right? So just to kind of see that background and see how it translated for MJ when Michael failed on the court, the very rare times that it happened, he always used that as fuel within himself just to be better. And, and, um, you know, just seeing that in his early years and his transition through college was really...
3: Um, the highlight for me from episode one. But Dion, Dion and Evan, see, I got a question. So, you know, I'm a Mike fan, just like y'all. Mm-hmm. But I think that's one of the most overrated parts of his story and legacy there is when you talk about how he was cut from his high school team. I, I just think that's so overrated just because he was in 10th grade. We acting like he was like a like like he was his junior year he was already 6'6 or something like that he was a like a lot of like a lot of sophomores get cut from varsity so when people talk about that i just think it's like fluff that's the only problem that i I really had with with that story because everybody talks about it want to bring it up you know michael jordan got cut so keep trying but he was in 10th grade we acting like he was just like it's not far-fetched to get cut from varsity in 10th grade but then it was like you know just to piggyback on episode one i the whole Kraus thing, I think his name is Krause, the uh, GM. Mm-hmm. That was kind of crazy to me because, you know, when we, my, oh, my image growing up of Michael Jordan was just, you know, Mr. Right. You know, everything he did was right. Everything he said was right. He was so polished in all his interviews. Um, so to see him had that conflict and see that other side of Michael Jordan, where he's just not like talking trash to players, but, he's coming at his, uh, his general manager, you know, kind of disrespectful. So I think a lot of people, um, like I, I heard a couple times that they, Mike was worried about how his legacy might go after he releases this, uh, just for those type of reasons. Because, you know, when you think of Michael Jordan, I think Michael Jordan curse, you know. So, so when I hear him curse like that, I'm like, oh, man. It's like, it's like sometimes you just rather see your heroes and not really meet the person himself. I don't know, you know, that's just how I feel on it.
2: Well, I'll say this. I I think what a lot of fans get confused with is they generally like when you're super talented like Michael Jordan was, they generally put him on this pedestal, but Jordan, I mean, it has been well documented that Jordan
3: <laughs>
2: while he was the greatest player on the court wasn't um, a Boy Scout off of it, right? right?
3: Right, right. And
2: so what this documentary is highlighting for me, uh, kind of like the grumblings I've been hearing over the course of years uh, as like this complete package of who Jordan was. Like he wasn't Mr. Perfect off of the court um, and he wasn't even perfect. His playing ability was, was beyond exceptional, but just as far as how he interacted with some of his teammates, even within the games, you know, it kind of made you cringe a little. Um, So I think a lot of fans, they just associate, well, he was a GOAT, so he was just all around um, around a good guy. I don't know if I'll put Jordan in the top 10 good guy list, and that's just for me. But (laughs) I'm okay with that because he's still the GOAT, right? You know, I know how to compartmentalize the two.
0: Yeah, Jordan's right. no A.C. Green, as you're saying. Um, right. <laughs> <laughs> but but um, I think with Jordan, too, I think there's a lot to be gained. I think beyond hit something on the head when she talked about how his mother, I told him to go on try harder, right? And I think it's important because right now we live in, like, in a participation trophy uh, type of era. And sometimes I'm probably too hard on my son. You know, he wants a high-five-like son. What you did wasn't that impressive, like. I mean, do something impressive. And then I was like, yeah, great job. Right. But it's like, you know, that's what you're supposed to be doing. Don't come talk to me when you beat up on, a, on, a, on an inferior team. That's what you're supposed to do. I need to see you have the same animosity, the same swagger when you're playing against a team that, that's, that's trying to kick your behind, trying to kick your teeth in. So uh, I appreciated seeing the inner workings because, you know, for me, I, I appreciate the complexity of the human experience. I appreciate the complexity of the, of the individual. Um, and to be honest, if Jordan was a nice guy, he probably wouldn't Jordan win a championship. And I think his father telling him, he, you ain't never going to be nothing about not knowing the difference between a screw and, a, <laughs> and a, uh, a, a, a screwdriver and a wrench. I mean, that, I think stuff like that drove him uh, to, to win because, I mean, even to this day, I feel like Jordan is competing with something, right? He's competing with something deep down in himself. Which doesn't, which which kind of makes him a Jerry Jones type of owner who who has too much control over, the say, of what happens with his organ, with his team. and doesn't trust the experts to make decisions. Um, and so I, I appreciate watching Jordan. Uh, and I appreciate, I think, from the first episode, just kind of answer that question. I appreciate hearing him with that Wilmington draw when he's talking initially. Like, it's funny. Like, he sounds like a kid when you first. start like, yo. Why does Jordan sound like a kid? Because you have that voice in your head. Oh, he's supposed to sound like, but he sounds like a kid. And He realize, yo, he's still growing, he's still maturing, he's still stepping into his own. So, you know, I appreciate that with the first episode. So. Yeah,
3: and 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 then, and then and also with that too, just to, you know, it wasn't all about Mike, um, in the first episode either. I think episode one or two talked about Scotty's rise, and I think that was like, man, that was big for me because that stuff does not happen anymore. You know, when you talk about uh, Scotty being 6'1", and I think Dion talked about this a couple couple days ago, you know, he's just shooting up to 6'8". And there's no way he would <laughs> stay at Central Arkansas. I think that's the school he was at. There's no way he would have that type of dominance at that school and not being like one of those tra- late transfers to Duke or North Carolina or something like that. So the way the game was, back then and how everything was 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 done far as scouting and all that it was it was really in, insightful because I know like guys like Dennis Rodman and uh Scottie Pippen that stuff doesn't exist no more you come from that small school like that and you put in work they moving you right up to the, one of the big schools so I thought that was crazy talking about Scottie's development and how he had to like develop into the type of character that was that number two guy and uh I thought that was really good because Mike you know, Mike is getting vilified sometimes from being like too hard on his teammates and things like that. But it seemed like he nurtured Scotty to become that animal that he was. So I think that's like like Mike said it best. Don't mention my name without mentioning Scotty Pippen's name. So I feel like the uh, insight about Scotty and his growth and his development was was really key on bringing that documentary home.
0: Right. And, and one. Think, go ahead um, and th- and think about how they depict. Think about how they depict uh, Jordan. They kind of depict him as, like, he just won. He just was good. But, you know, we kind of get away from the fact that he didn't just make you better by passing the ball to you. You see in the practice, he was making his guys better by pushing them to the next level. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I think Kelvin has a great point there because we the, focus on LeBron. You focus on how he makes you better by making that extra pass. It seems like Jordan made you better just by, just by you know, tearing into you and trying to push you. And trying to say, man, I can't be the best player doing all this. And you're just giving partial effort. If I'm the best player and I'm putting out this type of effort, you got to match this energy. I completely agree with that. And that is what, for me,
2: distinguishes um, Jordan um, being a great player, just on court accolades and really distinguishing him as a leader, which I feel most people come short. Like in in a lot of the scenes in episodes one through four, you see him really teaching, coaching Scottie Pippen. You even saw him um, directing and channeling Dennis Rodman. Like he he wasn't a leader that was just like, go and be great and make me look good. Like he was actually there on the ground, so to say, saying like, look, here's what you need to do. Here's what's going to make us better here's what's going to be beneficial to the team and the reality is you don't see that in this current NBA and correct me if I'm wrong maybe there are players putting in that kind of work I just can't recall off the top of my head
3: yeah it's it's definitely it's, it's really not the same I mean I feel like Michael Jordan's leadership is is something that people don't really look at look at so much we only look at his dominance, him being a prolific scorer, just, you know, uh, just icon, just, just bigger than life person. But he actually put in a lot of work with his teammates. And we talk about hearing stories about him smacking Steve Kerr and, you know, yelling at Paxson and all these things. But, you know, that's just, he's a great leader in my opinion, because even when we talk about, um. I mean, we give a lot of credit to him, too. But even when we talk about that situation, I just want to bring it back to when we talked about Dennis Rodman going on Vegas. um, He was able to adapt to situations, even with Phil Jackson, because that situation with him and Phil Jackson, when he talked to Phil about Dennis Rodman, you know, Phil ultimately made the executive decision because Mike was like, uh, yo, don't let him go. But Mike was a type of leader that sometimes could bend too. So he wasn't mad at Phil for letting, for letting Dennis Rodman go. He adapted with the flow of it. And that's a credit to him because he could have had friction with his head coach in that instance where Dennis Rodman wanted to go and he'd be like, Phil, no. And then Phil Phil would have did it anyway. It could have been some friction there to cause this team probably not to win another championship. But instead, you know, a good leader was saying, okay, I'm going to trust my coach right here and I, and I'm going I'm to do whatever's going to work for the team. So, you know, Michael Jordan does some things that, you know, we got to look in a microscope to really figure out how how he made it work. But I just think he did some excellent things as a leader that gets undermined by, you know, the public.
2: Mm -hmm. I mean, and let the record reflect, the documentary shows showed us that at the end of Rodman's impromptu vacation, Jordan was the one that went to get him from Las Vegas. You know what I mean? Like his leadership wasn't just, Oh, on the court like you have a guy that was personally vested in the success of his teammates whatever that may look
3: like right and then he put him out there like Kobe put out Shaq you remember right. that? <laughs> <laughs> he put him out there he just said yo listen he was in there with with somebody you know doing his thing and we had to get him out there to play some basketball you That's know right. and then you got Kobe you know Kobe my guy too but I gotta I gotta I gotta put it on the record Kobe said you know you know, what about Shaq? When he got into this situation, he, he started name dropping. So I respect that, too. I respect yeah. that, too, about Mike. Yeah.
1: But to correct the matter, actually, Dennis Rodman was across the street. He did return within 48 hours, and he had an apartment across the street from the practice facility. Right. Um, so um, Jordan actually went across the street to pick him up. Right. So he, wasn't actually, he didn't go to Vegas. He was actually across the street.
3: Right, he came back, but he still, nonetheless, wasn't where he was supposed to be. Exactly. And Mike didn't have to go over there and pull him out, but he did. So you know, that's that's the of a great leader. The the point is not lost. If that was LeBron,
2: Dennis would have been on the trading block.
3: Come on. Yeah, well, you know, yeah, that's that's. I'm sorry, that's that's true. LeBron, he don't like you. He get you out of there.
1: <laughs> we know his power. We know his power. So episode three was about. Dennis Rodman, which you touch, touched. How, what did you think about Dennis Rodman and his his um, ability to contribute to the um, the Bulls?
2: Um, I'll just say this: Dennis Rodman, for me, is a phenomenal athlete, phenomenal player. Um, I think the lore of Dennis Rodman for me was his, how eccentric he was um, on the court and off the court. What I appreciate most about him, and if you watched him as he played on the Bulls, even prior with the Pistons, he used to sacrifice his body every single game. Like for him, it did not matter. The only thing that mattered to him was that he was contributing to the team winning um and he literally laid it all on the line um defensively i mean it, it it was it's just mind-boggling what he was able to do um just as far as his his rebounding and a story was told i don't think the documentary mentioned this but um a couple of years ago i guess in the 90s, there was a story going around that one night Dennis Rodman was hanging out with his friends. Um, Him and his friends got drunk. I don't know who the friends were, whether they were teammates or not, but they went into a basketball court and um, Rodman obviously was too drunk to do anything, run, jump or anything. He got a chair, sat underneath the rim and just had his friends shoot shots from all over the court just so he can see what direction the ball would land once it came off the rim. And I'm like, wow, what kind of mentality do you have to have, you know, to to want to do that, right? So he was just as interested, and I always say this, Jordan had the will to succeed and, and the mental capacity. So did Rodman. Rodman really pushed himself to be um, in the position that he was in, so um, I I have nothing but phenomenal things to say about Dennis Rodman and his craft and what he did for the Bulls. Without Rodman, are the Bulls repeating the second time, I know for sure they're not.
3: That's big. That's a big statement by uh, Dion. Um, you know pretty much everything she said I agree with, but the thing about me with Robin he was thinking, he' was being honest he was a weird guy you know he was he was a weirdo to me um and uh it seemed like you had to be a psychology major to deal with him um but one thing that I did realize is is what Dean said too he was a great teammate uh, I didn't realize that you know the off the court court antics you know it didn't never mess with the team chemistry you know, more so he was always uh, willing to do whatever it takes to get a win. That's something that you can really respect. Um, and and, and the win and be successful, um, you have to know your role. And Rodman was a guy that, that definitely knew his role. And he adjusted to, um, he adjusted to, you know, the Bulls well, he adjusted to the Bulls well. But you know, what off-the-court things that really got me with with Rodman. You know, when I think about Rodman, I think about his basketball career secondary. I think about, you know, how he just was, you know, crying for help. And it was kind of interesting to me. uh, I don't know what episode it was, but when Isaiah was saying – Isaiah Thomas – I don't even know if this was on the episode, actually, but he was saying that he didn't even know that Rodman that was on the Bulls. And that was kind of big for me because, you know, he was with him in Detroit. And Rodman just, just morphed into this guy that was just, you know, some people say he was just crying for help. So it was just interesting to see him being able to function at a high level on a basketball court, even though he was like a stone-cold weirdo off the court. Man, you talk about this guy getting averaging 16, 18 rebounds. I mean, like, you're really effective at your job if you're doing it. You're doing it at a high level. But to, to be able to, you know, play both worlds, it was just, it was a tribute to you know who, who that guy was. So he was—he was a lot better person than I. You know I gave him—I gave him credit for initially.
1: Yeah, I agree. I agree. So let's talk about episode four. Um, I think this was one we talked about through text was one of the most controversial one. The Bulls finally beat Detroit. Um, Detroit, which was their nemesis. After that um, dramatic win, they walked off the court without shaking their hands. The story is that Bill Lambert and I they and agreed as a captain to not shake their hands and walked off. But and their sense, was they was passing the torch as they was passed the torch by the, the previous year by the Celtics who did the same thing. Your thoughts, episode four.
0: Well, I would say I agree with Michael Jordan. He's lying, but at the same time, um, I don't. I, I, to me, it's the big. We don't even shake hands, right? I mean, it, it's happened before in sports, uh, but in essence, they're they're really just being sore losers. It wasn't just and then, and then two. Isaiah Thomas is the leader of that team, so I don't understand why Isaiah Thomas is trying to pass the buck to Bill Lambeer when Bill Lambert is like one of the most hated men in the NBA. So you know, for me, Isaiah Thomas, who a player that I, I I do I I am Isaiah Thomas fan. He was a special talent. Um, he's just on the mistake. We didn't shake hands. Let's move on from it. He's making it worse by trying to make up all these excuses and all these other stories. You know, Jordan said it best. He's making it up. He's not telling the truth. And, um, you know who cares what Larry Bird did? You know, but here's the thing with Isaiah Thomas. Isaiah Thomas. And this is just a character trait of his. I don't know him personally. I'm just speaking from what I've seen media-wise. This is a character trait of his. He doesn't like to take accountability for the stuff he does. Uh, I don't know if you guys remember the, the, the ESPN 30 for 30 on the bad boy Pistons. And when he said labor is not good, he's just, he's just white, right? You know, that was his perspective. That's his opinion. But then he was put in a position to apologize or to, to kind of make amends, and he kind of just didn't really take accountability for it and just kind of just walked off, and that was the enemy. So, I mean, that's just his M.O. Uh, it comes to taking accountability in, on, a, on a major spotlight. He, he kind of shucks the bucket or he kind of uh, doesn't doesn't do that. So that's what kind type of leader um, he is. He just doesn't take accountability.
2: Evan, and I'm just going to chime in briefly. I completely agree with you. There's no accountability for his actions. As a matter of fact, um, watching the documentary last Sunday and kind of following up on sports stories during the week, he seems to me like um, one of those bitter baby mamas, right? (laughs) Like. (laughs) <laughs> Everything is all good in the moment, but as soon as you know as soon as things come out that may not put you in the best light he he's on the wall fighting back right because um post this documentary this week um he went out to the public to say that in his opinion, um Jordan is the fourth best player that he ever played against right and and my thing is like look you can feel a way about Jordan's comments you can feel a way about Jordan calling you out in the documentary um but now you're just gonna sit up here and lie and lie like you're gonna try to rewrite history when it's well documented in interviews as well as articles um as to how he really felt about Michael Jordan um it seems like he's probably bitter because he may feel internally that he never received the recognition that he deserved when he played. Um, but I feel like there are other ways to go about having that conversation than what he did. So.
3: Yeah, and I, and, I, and I don't really know how I feel about Isaiah. I think I feel like um, I kind of want to play devil's advocate a little bit. Um, just because when you think about that whole '80s reign, um, only people I think about, only thing the media pushed was Magic and Bird and Michael, and it was kind of like that void where Isaiah didn't get any credit that I th- feel like he deserved, and I feel like you know, just the human side of us, we naturally, you know, we don't get our just due, we kind of throw shots sometimes, and uh, or we want people to, we want people to be a, to have it like you know, put our attention on ourselves sometimes. And I feel like that's what, what Isaiah is doing. He's kind of like, uh, you know, kind of he, – he's hating a little bit. I can't – I can't say – I got to call it like it is. He is hating a little bit. But I feel like he just wants his, his Detroit Pistons to get some respect. And, and, you know, even to like what Evan pointed out earlier too, I feel like when you – when you when he passed the buck, you know, like he said on Bear, that situation, you know, that, that could be true. Um, Lambert was a a leader in that locker room. I mean, from what I understand, Lambert was an all star before, so he had a strong voice. Um, when you're in the heat of the moment and you lost, uh, and then you one of your leaders say, Listen, this is how we're going to do, you're not going to argue with your teammate at that time. You know, you might do what John Sally do instead of getting into an argument, you just might say, Check me, check me in the game, so I'm so I just, you know, I can avoid what y'all doing. Uh, but you know, I feel like, you know, Isaiah is getting a lot of heat right now. It somewhat is due. But some of it, you know, when you try to understand it from his shoes, him just being like an absent part of history, like he didn't win two championships and like he didn't put in work. It's, and, and, the, and the only time that you mention Detroit is when you talk about them being bad boys and dirty and all that stuff. Nobody wants that to be their legacy. So, I can you know, I can kind of sympathize with him. Not saying that he, everything he said was cool but you know, I can understand where he's coming from to a certain degree.
2: I mean, I hear that, but at the same time, just speaking about the Pistons legacy, um, that's the legacy they created. Like they wanted it to be known that they will beat you down on the court to get what they need. So now in 2020 or, you know, going forward, I don't see how they want the public to shy away from that persona that they put out there.
3: Yeah. And that's cool. That's fair, too. But then you got to look at uh, the Celtics. You know, you got you got I got footage of Parrish throwing punches. I got Dr. J and Larry Bird getting into it. You know, magic elbowing Isaiah in the mouth when he went to the lane. You know what I'm saying? So it's not like Detroit was the only people playing that brand of basketball. It was a dirty game. But, you know, those things was was considered to be a flagrant now was a, a regular uh, common foul back then. So I just feel like, you know, you know, in the 80s basketball, it was a lot of people playing dirty basketball, or tough basketball. Detroit, maybe more so than others, but to act like they're the only ones that was doing dirty things, that's just a flat out lie. I mean, I remember uh, clearly Dr. J punching somebody twice in the mouth boom, boom, and, and just coming back in the game like it was nothing. So, no, you know, I just, I, I, yeah, so I just feel like, uh, you know, Isaiah, the way he did it was wrong. But we gotta, you know, we gotta give them some more love, and, and, and you know, him being kicked off the dream team, you know, that was that, that's hard, that's hurtful, man. If you one of the best guards, like Michael Jordan said, he was the be- he was the second best point guard. This is Mike saying he was the second best point guard ever, you know. So if he the second best point guard ever, Mike, you feel like don't you feel like he should have been on that dream team, or you know, do you feel like he should be a little bit salty because he didn't make that team? Of course. So I feel like, you know, Isaiah's is just trying to, trying to fight, you know, just like he is that little man. He got might have a Napoleon complex. You know, he's just trying to fight for what
0: he thinks is his.
3: Yeah,
0: I mean, let's be honest. He, he was better than uh, John Stockton. Yeah. But on another level, I mean, chem- we talk about this with the Cowboys. Chemistry is important. And let's ask this question. How many of the three main players on the Dream Team, Isaiah Thomas at one point or another have beefed with all three? Right. Larry Bird, Magic Johnson, and uh, Michael Jordan. Right. I but don't know if it was a collective, we don't want to play that dude.
3: Yeah, but you know, what's the guy named Rod Thorne? He's the, he's the guy that was the executive uh, uh, vice president of, of the uh, Olympic team. You know, he, yeah. he, he, he says many times it wasn't Mike's. So I'm going to take you for his word. Maybe, maybe he's lying, but I got to take it for his word. <laughs> but this is my thing about it, bro. Isaiah playing on that team has nothing to do with chemistry, bro, because they're beating everybody by 50 points. <laughs> so it's not like it's competition. It's more, it's more about, you know, just rec- being recognized as being one of the best players at the time. So I feel like it was kind of disrespectful to not have him on the team because the chemistry, nah, that's the last thing you worried about when you, when you just showboating and throwing alley-oops all game. It wasn't competitive. So, you know, you had Christian Leitner on the team, so
0: stock. So, if you got <laughs>
3: Christian Leitner on the team and you got these other guys on the team, you definitely should have Isaiah Thomas on the team. So, him being a little bit salty, you know, I can sympathize with him, like I said. You know, as far as him, all his comments, like Dion brought up, it's flat out ridiculous to say that Mike was the fourth best player you played with. I mean, that's just flat out you lying. I just want to check your temperature after you say something stupid like that. But, you know, um, But all the other stuff that I said, as far as him just feeling like he don't get his just due, I think that's valid.
1: Yeah. Room has actually said that Magic Johnson in his book stated that he was one of the culprits that made sure Isaiah Thomas didn't get on the team. And I do agree. Isaiah should have been on that dream team. And he was, I felt that he is bitter that he wasn't, his legacy and his Detroit Pistons has been skipped over. So it seems to go from Celtics magic, like you say, straight to um to Bulls. So we tend to forget Houston and even the seventy sixers were champions during the eighties. But we Houston <laughs>
0: went, went to the finals. They didn't they didn't win though. They didn't win. They lost to the Celtics.
1: All right. Not Houston. I'm sorry. It was the Seventy Sixers.
3: Say it louder. Say it a little louder.
1: Seventy <laughs> Sixers and um who else won during that era? Lakers, Houston, Celtics. Celtics, yep. Looking forward to talk about episode five tonight. And just a few minutes, I just want everyone to um, take about the NBA. What do you think it would take the NBA to reopen up? And as the NBA was the forefront um, sport to actually be the first one to shut down, and everyone everyone else followed suit. So what would it take the NBA, and what do you think it would take the NBA to reopen up?
2: Um, I would say, I mean, I read something this week that they're proposing that the season starts in December of this year and goes, and it goes on through August of next year. I mean, I think with COVID and things being so uncertain, I really don't know um, if starting the NBA before the fall is, is a realistic reality. My understanding of them opening facilities was just to allow players to practice. Am I correct on that? Correct. So, I mean, I, I pretty much think that's what it will be. I think the bigger question though, is when they come back, are we just scrapping this season and going straight into the 2021 season or whether or not they're trying to salvage um, any part of this season, maybe having a late playoffs or something.
1: According to LeBron made a statement out there, he wants this season to be salvaged. And I have a feeling that he wants that season to be salvaged, wherefore his team is a favorite to win a champion. So he wants that Hold
2: on, hold on. Hold
1: on. His team is the favorite to win the championship, you said? He believes his team is one
2: of the favorites. Oh, okay. I mean, there's the whole Clippers, but I hear you. <laughs> Go
3: ahead. Cal? Oh, um, yeah. Um, of course, you got to listen to the experts uh, as far as, uh, you know, starting back the league um, as a fan. Of course, I want the league to start back. Um, I want to see what's going to happen. And I feel feel like they should try to salvage the league. I feel like, you know, you did it. You basically played, um, you you passed the all-star break. So you got a lot of stats. You got a lot of awards that's, you know, that's that's midway through. uh, That you probably, you know, MVP, rookie of the years. And, you know, just the stat line that people put up. So I don't feel like people should be, they should miss a whole year. Uh, But you can't like start back up in November. I feel like that that's something that you can't do because you talk about the draft coming in and these young, these new young kids coming in. So there's no way you can do that. So I just feel like, uh, you know, I feel like they should start as soon as they can, but it was an interesting point. They try to bring up saying that they might do something where they might like go to a, a, a the same venue, all the teams like Las Vegas or something like that and try to play the remainder of the season out like that. I feel like that's something that they should do. It's unprecedented, of course, but I feel like, um, you know, to try to, you know, keep the season up and and try to play and, uh, you know, finish out with, you know, close as possible to a, to a regular season. You got to do things like that, work on the fly. And I feel like that Vegas idea might be a good idea, just try to finish it out like that.
0: Yeah, I agree. I think that the bubble idea is the best idea. I honestly, I think we'd see some great basketball if they did the bubble. Players would have no distractions. There'd be no traveling. No one would be tired. There'd be no fan. You really just get to see talent against talent. Yeah. So I actually would love to see the bubble concept play out. Um. And then just I, – I really don't think they should finish the season. I think they should have like – for like teams in contention, like have like a play-in tournament. Mm-hmm. And then have the playoffs. That's that's what I a play. Like the teams aren't going to make it. Okay, you're this is who you are. There's no hope. No point in you come to play these last 15 games.
2: Yeah. <laughs> uh, I I kind of agree with you because I think they played the majority of the season already, and I think we have a good picture, a good playoff picture. So. I would just say let's take the 16 as it is now and and start the playoffs.
3: Yeah, I mean, yeah. it might it might produce a little March Madness atmosphere, actually. And, you know, when March Madness comes along, that's like the best basketball of the year, just in my opinion. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I agree with you guys. I feel like we should do whatever it takes to try to salvage the league. This this year's season, uh, don't jump into a new season. Um, But I I think it was interesting, a a point that you brought up, too, Phil. Um, You said whether it might be a competitive advantage for teams that's opening up or whether – I think you was talking about the summertime. Was that the question that you had before? Yeah. Yeah, so um, when you talk about that, I was thinking about that question. Um, It's definitely a competitive advantage if certain teams open up you know, the facility, you know, you know, certain states are quarantined, certain cities are, certain c- cities might not be. Um, so I don't feel like it's fair to do that uh, because, you know, it's not a competitive advantage, in my opinion, for uh, the veterans. But when you talk about the younger players, especially if you, uh, you talk about we finished the season and, and only certain cities open up, you bring in rookies. Uh, rookies now have an advantage that other rookies don't have when they're allowed to go into facilities and get the team trainings and things like that. So I feel like, you know, certain teams would be at a disadvantage if they allow some organizations to open up and others not to.
1: First I want to thank everyone for coming out and taking the time on the first episode of a lady and some dude podcast. I hope everyone enjoyed their time with us and looking forward for episode two. Please take the time to share this information with others as we continue to grow.